Well, it must have been around 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, that I came to a, a realization, an epiphany, that I probably already knew deep down inside. My son Jaden was friends with Audrey Berry, one of our former youth. Um, she's now, actually she's in the marching band for, uh, at Washington State and a student there, so go Cougs. Um, and we had gathered with her family. They were maybe eight or 10 years old. We gathered with her family for a picnic down on the Silverdale waterfront. And we had brought something kind of lame, like some sandwiches or something like that. But they had brought sushi. Where's my sushi person back there? There she is. All right, they had brought sushi. So, boy, I really didn't care much for those sandwiches I had. It was my favorite. And I'm just, Audrey had just kind of unwrapped some shrimp tails on rice and then proceeded to eat only the shrimp, leaving the rice and the nori and the ginger and the wasabi behind. I couldn't contain myself, so I channeled my inner sixth grader, and I asked her, are you going to eat that? <laughs> and to my delight, she said, no. And she pushed all the goodies right over to my side of the table. And as I lapped up these leftovers, I realized something. Here's the epiphany. I don't like sushi nearly as much as I like all the stuff that goes with it. I love that, you know, that sinus clearing wasabi and that the tang of that pickled ginger. Some of you probably hate that stuff, but I love it. But my epiphany didn't stop there. I realized I loved fish and chips but not so much because of the fish, but because of the tartar sauce that goes on the fish. <laughs> and I realized even more, my fries and my burger, I won't eat them unless they have ketchup and mustard on the burger as well on every single bite. And my favorite dish at Thanksgiving, stuffing is second, <laughs> gravy. And I realized something that I still believe today that there are two kinds of people. Those who love gravy and atheists. <laughs> I don't really think that. <laughs> but gravy might be proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy, perhaps. I don't know. Now at this point in the sermon, you might be asking yourself, this is what you're preaching on today, Pastor Jonathan? Can I get some of my sleeping back? Um, why are we talking about condiments and gravy? Well, because I think sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, we can look at following Jesus as something we have to do. Maybe it's a kind of burden, or it's, it's riddled with guilt, like we, we should, we better, we ought, we must. I tell the story often of a youth one Sunday morning asking me, oh, PJ, do I have to go to confirmation this morning? It was, we did confirmation a little differently back then. And I said, no, you don't have to. And they brightened up and they said, really? And I said, you don't have to, you get to. <laughs> and I followed that up by saying, and if your parents are forcing you to, I'm going to support them because I know they're laying a foundation for you. But I was thankful to that youth because they helped me understand too that it was important for us in all of our learning to understand why what does this matter what does this mean 
I'm thankful to that youth because he reminded me of the importance of helping people see what a privilege it is to gather in the name of Jesus, to give thanks to our Creator, to live in a community with purpose and with mission, doing things that matter, to have hope in this life and in the life to come, to know the power of God's mercy and how that has power over our own human judgments and divisions and all of that that happens, all of that drama. To hear that we belong to God. And as we heard so clearly in the baptism of Jesus a couple of weeks ago, that we are called even beloved. Not because of our status or because we've done things right or wrong or this way or that way, but be just because we exist and God has such joy in that. All of these things, I think, are the gravy of life. Or since we have all these fish stories before us today, I chose tartar sauce instead. You can fill that in with pad thai or whatever you want to fill it in with. In our first reading today, Jonah is invited to go to a place where nobody from God's people wants to go. Nineveh is so terrible. He knows, everybody knows, that if you give a message of judgment from God... They will probably shame you or even kill you or both. And yet he goes, kind of. <laughs> He's really forced to go, if you know the story. He's forced to go to Nineveh and honestly give the worst sermon ever in the history of the world. And yet it works powerfully. Why? First of all, what is his sermon? Did you, did you catch it there? i got to turn back here. He says, he goes one walk of a three, of, of a three days walk in the city. It's a huge city. Um, and he says, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. No context, no God says or anything else. He just spouts out those words and that's it. Now, does it work because he's a grumpy prophet who smells like the inside of a fish? Probably not. It is because of the word of God. And God's word accomplishes its work. We're told in scripture that God's word does not come back to God empty, but accomplishes what it proposes. God's word is what does the work, not because of Jonah, not because of us, but because of God and God's abundance. It's not the fish. It's the tartar sauce. It's the goodness, it's the mercy, it's the power of God, it's the extra. But Jonah can't really see it in his story. He wants fire and brimstone. He wants justification for his hate and judgment towards Nineveh. Even though we hear in verse 10 that they have repented, here's how Jonah responds. Listen to this. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jeez. 
I guess not everybody likes tartar sauce, huh? I'd rather die than live one more day in this house where I am loved, cared for, and given freedom to be all that God has created me to be. We've placed the age of, of uh, the prophet um, Jonah. He's between 12 and 18, we're pretty sure. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. <laughs> Jesus, we are told, by the way, that doesn't go away in your adult life. That's not fair, so... But Jesus, we are told, is creating a house full of God's abundant grace. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, I love that verb for fulfilled. It's a perfect verb, and without going into a boring Greek study, let me just say that the perfect tense of a verb means that it has impact in the past. It is coming to kind of a head uh, right now in this moment, but it will also have impact into the future. And so it, it, it gives the sense that this is a completeness. It is a fulfillment here. That's the word. Uh, uh, the time is fulfilled, but it, it means that God has been acting on this fulfillment in the past. It's coming to its head in Jesus, and then it will continue to have impact into the future, into our time as well. So this isn't just a moment in time. It has been coming. It has been coming in the, in the words of the prophet Jonah and in God's abundant forgiveness for those who repent and believe in, in, in God there in Nineveh. But it has come to its fulfillment now in Christ. The kingdom of God, the household of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. We might speak of this kingdom not just, again, as some moment in time or, or some kind of surface area, whether it be the whole earth or, or the, you know, just, just there in, that, in the Middle East or whatever it might be, but it's more of a sense of a rule or of a reign of God, uh, a, a coming in, a breaking into this world. Like, again, a couple weeks ago in that baptism when the heavens were torn open and God comes rushing down upon the earth. This is not just a place, but it is a reality in which we live. And Jesus is very consistent with this message of repentance and belief. Repentance. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, repentance may sound to us, again, like, a, oh, gosh, we better, we better get to work. We better get to work. But, but really, this repentance is God turning us around, God awakening us and transforming us to something new, opening our eyes on this Epiphany Sunday to see God's goodness once again in our lives and in the life of the world. Now, Jesus was probably already known a little bit by the disciples. We can assume that he had been ministering <clears throat> in that area before this call story today because it seems very simple. Jesus just walks by and says, follow me, I will make you fish for people. And they drop their nets and off they go without any explanation. So it's presumable that Jesus had some kind of a relationship or was at least known by these folks that he called. But he walks by the sea and he particularly calls these disciples. He calls them to something more. They are kind of stuck in the day-to-day -day of life, into the grind, into the, this kind of mindset of, of scarcity. Well, we got to get enough fish to pay the ever-increasing uh, Roman taxes. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to do, we got to, we got to, we got to. And in this 
In this place of fishing, Jesus pulls out the tartar sauce and says, I have something more for you. I have something extra for you. And calls them to fish for people. Calls them to learn at his side. Calls them to minister to others. To witness to the healing and abundance of God. The glory of God. The power of God. Did you know that when Jesus feeds uh, the 5,000 with bread and with fish, the Romans controlled the land, they controlled the, the crops, they controlled the seas, they controlled the fishing and the taxation of those things. And in that moment, Jesus says, no, actually, God owns it. And when God owns it, when we understand that and we see that, there is enough for all. Now, maybe you're here today and you think, boy, I'm dealing with a lot. I don't really feel like... <sighs> I don't really feel like I'm in a place of abundance. But I think when Jesus calls, when Jesus calls us and fills us with that word, with that abundance of God's goodness, when we're really hungry, the food tastes even better. That's why I take kids backpacking, because they'll eat my cooking when the alternative is rocks and dirt, right? (laughs) But truly, when we're hungry, when we're sitting at a bedside of someone who's who's struggling with illness, or when we're sitting in this place and mourning the loss of a loved one, God's goodness falls upon us even more and it tastes even richer and even better. But we don't need to be in those places necessarily to hear God's call, to taste God's goodness, and to know that as we go from this place, our pockets are full of tartar sauce, packets to give out, or pad thai, probably not pockets, but plates, or stuffing, or sushi, or whatever it might be. We carry this goodness. We carry this abundance. We carry this hope as Jesus' disciples called to drop everything and to proclaim the good news. The kingdom is here. The time 